Today is for the person who said to me a couple of weeks ago, but pastor, but pastor, before this is over, you are going to talk about traditional predictive prophecy, aren't you? Because the Bible is full of doom and gloom, but pastor, so thank you for the note, Anonymous, this is for you. I hope we meet one day. The Bible is full. The Bible is full of predictive prophecy, yes? So is our curiosity. Our curiosity to know the future has a long history. Our curiosity to know what's coming before it actually arrives, that has a very long history because we like to order things. It's our young daughter when she's learning to play card games on Saturday night when she's tiny and we pass the cards out, they're all upside down. She covers her eyes with one hand and just kind of peeks through like this, just like this as she peeks underneath the deck of cards to see and I say, shit, now this is part of the game. Don't look now. And she says, but I need to see what it is so I can get ready. Yeah. Curiosity about our future has a long history, so we sneak and we peek and we sometimes cheat because we want to know how it's going to happen. I could ask you today, if you, if you knew how your life was going to end, would you want to know it? Oh, see how quickly. So I'm going to ask, I'll ask two questions. The first one, if you could see and know when your life was going to end, would you want to know that? Please say amen. If you could see when your life was going to end and even how it was, if you couldn't, didn't want to see, I don't want to see how my life is going to end, when it is going to end, please say amen. amen. Well, listen to you all. These students, you don't even want to know. You don't want to know if you'll marry or not. You don't know what, what they're going to turn into. You want to know about your careers? You want to know? <laughs> Someone's having a meltdown over here. <laughs> they're like, we just want to get through week eight. We don't care. We don't even care if we get a job. It's week eight. I mean, and this is our reality. Our appetite is all across the spectrum on this. It is truthful to say, though, our curiosity about the future has a long history. We polled the congregation a few weeks ago when we began this sermon series, and we simply asked the question about prophecy. How relevant is this in your life? This was the question. How relevant is the idea and the experience of prophecy in your everyday life? Many of you were here this day. 70% of us said Prophecy was somewhat or extremely urgent. We didn't define prophecy. We didn't say what we meant by that. But 70% of us said somewhat or extremely. And 30% of us got out our cell phones. 70% of us said somewhat or extremely. We are curious about the future that's yet to arrive. My guess is we meant or we hear or we think predictive prophecy. Tell us the things that are going to happen, and then the end will come. 
This is the question with Jesus and the disciples in Mark chapter 13. Tell us when, verse 4, when will this be, the disciples asked Jesus, and what will be the sign? Jesus, we want to see the future coming. We'd like to get plan, planning before it starts. It's forecasting, and a lot of us do it. My goodness, economists do it, healthcare specialists do it, educators do this. Forecasting, parents do it, children do it. This is dress up, trying on future possibilities, right? Forecasting the future. One question we talked about this week is the pastoral staff. Why do we think many of us are interested in predictive prophecy, the kind of prophecy that tells us what we think might be coming, what's already happened, how Bible prophecy has been fulfilled, how we can focus on what's still yet to come. These are some of the answers from your pastoral team, and you have, by the way, a fantastic pastoral team. My goodness. This was the best conversation on Wednesday morning. We could hardly get anything else done. In fact, we didn't get the other things done because we discussed this. Why do we think people want to hear predictive prophecy? Because we don't feel prepared. We don't feel equipped for the last days. Because, because number two, we don't understand all of Scripture. And that troubles us. We think we should. Number three, because we follow ten different preachers who say ten different things. We're confused out here. Number four, our lives are in turmoil. Our lives are in turmoil, and maybe prophecy can help us make meaning of what we're experiencing. Number five, we're insatiably curious. I mean, this is just, this is who we are as human beings. Number six, well, there's a sensationalistic culture in the United States of America. We kind of like gory. We kind of like scary. We kind of want to watch and see, get the adrenaline rush, and can we last all the way to the end? Kirby and I watched a movie last weekend. We were trying to tick off these Oscar-nominated movies, but I couldn't make it. But some people love that adrenaline rush. Number seven, it's easier to talk prophecy than live the gospel. I didn't say it. One of your pastors said it. Number eight, I mean, they mean by that it's easier to talk about prophecy, things out there or things we don't understand than what's right in front of my face today. Number eight, prophecy is our Adventist story. It's our sense of identity. Oh my goodness, this is who we are from the beginning. Daniel 7 and 8 and Revelation 10 and 12 and 14 and all the way to the end. This is who we are and, and, and are we giving this identity to the next generations? Number nine, Sabbath, because somehow we understand that Sabbath figures in the very end of the story. Somehow this idea from Revelation and the beast and oppressive worship and our choices being taken away and all of the commandments, Sabbath. Number 10, the great controversy, there is evil, there, are, there is good and there is bad and we need a hero and we like these stories. Number 11, a little part of us believes we're saved by our rightness. Listen, I talked with a student in the last month who's lived all of his years in Adventism. And in an Adventism that taught we can only be saved by the grace of Jesus. But there's so much to know. There's so much to know. Maybe, the, maybe right thinking is part of this. Number 12 
we've sacrificed for this movement. Come on. We gave up jobs and careers and getting married. We gave up estates. We gave up particular vocations. We gave up our Saturday hours. We gave up cheese. And swine. And wine. <laughs> Better be worth it. Remember what we said a couple weeks ago about Ellen White's family. When 1844 arrived without Jesus, October 22, and no Jesus, it shook her entire family apart. And that would be a question to ask in eternity. Did Ellen White's family think it was worth it if it tore their family apart? Better be worth it. Does any of this resonate with you? If it doesn't resonate with you, you may be in the camp of people um, who simply don't want to talk about these things because it's been poorly done. We can name that this morning because it's troubling and honestly, it's difficult to understand. We have very few places in Scripture, especially in the New Testament, especially with the voice of Jesus, very few places where Jesus says a word about what's to come. Mark 13 is the longest of all of them. Little bits and pieces of this are also recorded in Matthew and Luke, but Mark 13, the whole chapter is Jesus. And here's the problem. We kind of like Jesus when he's healing people and feeding people, but the Jesus with this graphic troubling content and no trigger warning. So maybe you're with a group of people where we just would rather not talk about it because this gets us so uptight. 2011, we talked about this particular passage in, in 2011. That's a lot of years ago. Enjoy just a few minutes of Donovan and Steve wrestling with the apocalypse of Mark 13. Come here, bro. All right. Look, dude. Hey, dude, dude. Yeah, I'm good. Don't touch me. Don't touch me. All right. Um, listen, listen, man. Listen, man. Um, a lot of stuff's been going on, you know. Um, just things been happening. I was walking by this bum. He was, like, yelling all this stuff. about in the world, dude. You know, whatever. And then 2012's coming. And then, you know, there's the Mayans and all of these guys. And, and, and so it sent me home, man, you know. Yeah. It sent me home because I was like, you know, the end of the world, it's like, it's coming. You know, it's like, it's coming. You know, just like the car is it's coming down the street, the end of the world, it's, it's coming, you know? Right. And, and so I went and I was doing some reading, man, and I'm like freaking out here, man. This is like some weird stuff going on, man. You got to read this. Look at this. Have you, do you read the book? You probably read the Bible. You're a pastor, man. Check this out. Listen to this. Look at this. Look at this, man. Um, this is how it starts. Jesus said, watch out. That's what you say like when you're sitting in church and like the beam is getting ready to crush the front row. You say, watch out, don't get killed by the beam, you know? Or like you're sitting in the street and like a bus is coming and it's gonna like hit you. So you're like, watch out, don't get hit by the bus, you know? Yeah, so like, right. that's even, that's just the first words, man. Well, I mean like this is, there's a whole verse on this. Look at this, listen to this, man. I, listen, listen okay. to this. It says, it says, watch out, 
okay? Um, there, there's going to be people to deceive you. Many will come in my name claiming I am he, and he will um, de deceive many, and, and we'll hear of wars, rumors of wars. There's a lot of wars. A lot of wars going on. A lot of those things happening. Such things will happen. Nations are going to rise up against nations, and ah! <laughs> this, this, bro, this, bro, there will be earthquakes in various places. California is a various place, man. <laughs> California is a serious place, man. There's earthquakes all over the place, bro. But, 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 no, but dude. God, listen. Listen, what? listen. No, you listen to me, Pastor. Listen. There's more. There's more, okay. man. Okay. Listen to this. Okay. Listen yeah. to this. It says you must be on guard. You gotta, you gotta watch your back. You know, you never know who's, who's coming with something. You know, you gotta watch your back. It says you will be handed over to the local councils and flogged in the synagogues. Flogged. I didn't even know what that meant. I thought it was like a Facebook blog, and Facebook is from the devil. So, you know, I was like, no way, son. You know? And, and, but I found out it actually means getting beaten. Getting beaten in synagogues. I went on Google Maps. There are 1,200 synagogues around here, man. The closest one is in Arlington. Sweet 100, man. Sweet 100. I got to get out of here, dude. That's not even it. Come on. Come on back. There's more. There's okay, more. Yeah. Listen to this. Listen to this, man. You don't understand. It says they're going to bring you before governments and, and, and kings, and you'll be a witness. You'll be a witness before mm -hmm. governments and kings. Dude, I'm, I'm shy. I can't even be on the greeting committee. Last time when you put me there, the woman that was like way bigger than me, I hid behind her and I was like, hi. That's, I was like, that's hi, true. how you doing? And then I came back. And then you got to do it in front of the government. I don't trust the government, man. I do not trust the government, man. Listen to this. There's more. It says this. But brother will betray brother to death. I live with my brother, man. Well, <laughs> I, and actually, you know, you know I James. know your brother. He's nice. He, he's no, peaceful. No, no, he's, he's not peaceful. nice. He's not nice. He's quiet. He's quiet. There's a difference. You see, like they smile at you, right? They smile at you, and you like think they're nice, but really, they could be smiling at what's happening up here, man. But you I know, think he might be like bottling it all in, and like the the end of time is like this hand. It's this hand that comes and it pulls the cork off the bottle, and and then like he's he's gonna stab you. I tell you something. I threw away all the knives in my house. Yeah. Yeah, well, except for one, because I like buttered bread. Well, you got I won't be yeah. buttering bread around James. I'll tell you that. Well, I, I'll tell you I, that. I, no, I, I, and that's not it. That's not it. See, look down here. I, forget about marriage. But forget I, about marriage. It says, how dreadful it will be for those who are pregnant. Pregnant women and nursing babies. You get married, you start a family, there's a pregnant woman in there somewhere. I, so not I, for me, dude. Not for me, dude. And I got to worry about the weather. Look at this, man. Look at this. It says, pray that this will not take place in the winter. I can't get away from the winter. Are you kidding me? And, and, and look at this. Look at this one. It says, now learn this lesson from the fig tree. As soon as its twigs get tender and the leaves come out, now you will know that summer is near. I got to worry about winter and summer, brother. I can't do this, man. I got to be looking for fig. I don't even have a fig tree. Oh, oh but, but, Donovan. <laughs> right? Yeah. <laughs> right? Does everyone need to take a deep cleansing breath? Steve, you got a lot of words in there. Donovan Childs, a graduate from the Divinity School, pastors in Los Angeles, and you know our Steve. Matthew 13. Maybe you're in this camp. Matthew 13, as for yourselves, beware. We read a little portion earlier. We're going to read the rest now. 
They will hand you over to councils and you will be beaten in synagogues and you will stand before governors and kings because of me as a testimony to them. And the good news must first be proclaimed to all nations when they bring you to trial. They hand you over. But don't worry beforehand about what you were to say. Whatever will be given to you at the time. It's not for you to speak, but the Holy Spirit. Brother will betray brother to death, and a father and a child and children will rise against parents and, and have them put to death, and you will be hated because of my name. But the one who endures to the end will be saved. Remember, the disciples' opening question was simply, Jesus, when? Did they get an answer yet? We keep going. But when you see the desolating sacrilege set up where it ought not to be, and this is why these verses are so troubling, what's a desolating sacrilege? Probably a reference to something in Daniel. Probably a reference to idols, pagan idols that didn't belong in the temple. When you see that set up where it shouldn't be, then those in Judea must flee to the mountains. The one on the housetop must go, not go down or enter the house to take anything away. The one in the field don't turn back to get a coat. Woe to those who are pregnant and to those who are nursing infants in these days. False messiahs and false prophets will appear and produce signs and omens to lead you astray. If possible, the elect. Be alert. I've already told you everything. Did they get their answer yet? But in those days, after that suffering, the sun will be darkened and the moon will not give its light and the stars will be falling from heaven and the powers in the heavens will be shaken and then they will see the Son of Man coming in clouds with great power and glory. Then he will send out the angels and gather his elect from the four winds, from the ends of the earth to the ends of the heaven. From the fig tree, learn the lesson. As soon as the branch becomes tender and puts forth its leaves, you know the summer is near. So also when you see these things taking place, you know he's near. It's at the very gates. Truly I tell you, this generation will not pass away until all these things have taken place. Heaven and earth will pass away, but these words won't pass away. Did they get their answer yet? Verse 32, but about the day or the hour. Takes Jesus 30 verses, friends. But about the day or the hour, neither the angels in heaven nor the Son but only the Father. No one knows but the Father. Beware, keep alert, for you do not know when the time will come. It's like a man going on a journey when he leaves his home and he puts his slaves in charge, each with work and commands the doorkeeper to be on watch. Therefore, keep awake, for you do not know when the master of the house will come, in the evening or at midnight or at the cock crow or at dawn, or else he may find you asleep. When he comes suddenly. And what I say to you, I say to all keep awake. The disciples asked a simple question. It takes Jesus till verse 30. But about that day or hour, no one knows, neither the angels in heaven nor the Son, but only the Father. It was long before I became a pastor that this passage alone, these words from Jesus alone, were sufficient for me to release me from counting prophecies and putting marks in boxes and, and, and weighing catastrophes. Is it worse? Is it getting worse? Is it getting worse? Jesus says no one knows. Not even Jesus knows. Can't he just ask the Father and get an answer? But he doesn't. This alone for me was enough for me to think there must be another question. Jesus doesn't ask the Father 
We don't talk that much about predictive prophecy around here. I know that. One answer is surely because we still live out of the trauma from prior generations. So I grew up in this like many of you. And the images of apocalyptic doomsday, zombies and <laughs> zombies and the Golden Gate Bridge crashing because of the earthquakes and something about the number 666 being magically imprinted somewhere on our ATM cards. My Visa card. I wouldn't know, but it would happen to me. Something about the Mayan calendar or I, 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 don't, I, I don't know. It's all bad. It's all bad. And then the world goes dark. I grew up with this. I grew up with the song playing on Friday night, The Lord is Coming. Are you ready? Would your heart be right if he came tonight? It is possible that some of you, us, those of us who grew up in this tradition, grew up on Sabbath time was not actually a rehearsal of heaven. It was a preparation for hell or a choice between the two. One of the reasons we don't talk often about predictive prophecy is because we're still living out of the trauma of doing this poorly. So what are the consequences if we ignore talking about this? I asked your brilliant pastors that same question. What do you think the consequences are? Let's just not talk about this. Here's what your team said. We will allow other people to define things for us if we don't talk about it. We will lose a better informed way of being in our world if we don't talk about it. We will lose credibility with our denomination at least, and some of our members for sure will say to us, why don't you have something to say about this? We don't hold ourselves accountable in God's story if we don't talk about this. We lose our protest over powers of this world if we don't talk about this story. Because if the heart of God is to overthrow evil, then we need to talk about this. We are left with the powers of this world. Prophecy tells us that the powers that be are not the powers that will be. As Pastor Raywin likes to put it. There are consequences if we decide not to talk about this. Maybe sometimes we do need to hear the ancient cry of the prophet reminding us how fragile God's world. Maybe. There is so much to say about Mark chapter 13. I could simply say, let's make haystacks and come back in and talk for three hours. That's how passionate I feel about Mark 13. But I will say two things. Two things today. First of all, the reason Mark 13 is called the little apocalypse is because it resembles the other parts of our Bible, Daniel and Revelation and parts of Ezekiel that use the same language and imagery. There's a reason it gets that name, the little apocalypse. There's a reason it's a revelation or a revealing or a pulling back the veil. That's the, that's the understanding of what's happening here because things are being revealed in this chapter. There's a reason that uh, the people during Jesus' day and the those who write this story with Jesus, they have resources. They have stories that they're used to telling. They have something called Jewish apocalyptic material they reach for and reimagine it in their current location. All they want to say with apocalyptic material is that evil is real and people have choices. 
And as our Professor Kendra likes to say, in apocalyptic literature, there is no fence sitting. I don't know, let me think about it. It's not an answer. Evil is real and people has cho have choices and our choices have consequences. Power is corrupt. So get off the fence, Mark 13 says. The reason Mark 13 is called the little apocalypse is because the end of everything has already come to these people, by the way. The historians tell us that this is probably composed around the time the temple has already come down. This means Rome has come to town, has razed the place, has burned it on fire, has rummaged and pillaged and taken. The reason it feels like the end of the world is because the end of the world already came to these people. So when Jesus sits with the disciples looking around, it's because it's already destroyed. So we ought to hear this then, as if we are families who go to bed at night without jobs and food. Families who are armed because we don't know when Rome's going to come knocking and we're going to have to defend ourselves and our children. We ought to hear this as people who have a choice, fight with Rome or be in the rebel movement and choose very carefully. We ought to hear this as people who are used to listening to crazy voices in the temple square because there's no shortage of crazy messiahs. We ought to hear this also, though, with the exhaustion of Isaiah and Ezra and Micah and John the Baptist. When will Israel finally have peace? This is what we long for. This is why it's called the a little apocalypse because there's loss and pain and tragedy right now all around. When we read predictive prophecy in the Bible, friends, what we cannot do is take these portions of the Bible and tear the meaning from prior people's stories. Prior people lived in these places. And whether I live in North America or Ecuador or or. or Okinawa today, whether I live in Somalia, I can open the same story and it will have meaning to me wherever I live. But I can't rip the meaning from prior people's stories and privilege mine. Do you hear that? Adventist Christians need to pay attention to this. We can't tear the meaning and the relevance from the hands of oppressed Jews who lived in Babylon in the 6th century BC. We can't tear the meaning from another war-torn country in the first century. We can't actually even tear the meaning from a little band of revivalists in 1844 who read these prophecies and found themselves right in the middle of the fulfillment of everything. I can empathize with how they got this reading. The theologian Andre, uh, Andre Reis says in this week's quarterly for the book of Daniel, which some of you are studying, we can't tear the meaning and the relevance and catapult its fulfillment millennia into the future, making an American band of revivalists in 1844 into the primary audience and fulfillment of all biblical prophecy. There's real evil. There are real choices for all people at all times. The pretend powers in our world are seductive, and please know that this little apocalypse is a private conversation. Did you notice at the beginning, Jesus said privately to the disciples. They're already in the band. They're already in the movement. They're already as in as part of the tribe. In this conversation in Mark 13, Jesus goes a little bit deeper. 
when Jesus is going a little bit deeper, we should know then that Daniel and Revelation, the apocalyptic material, it's, it's not like dating material. It's not like for the first date. This isn't uh, when you put your best foot forward, perhaps, right? We've been living with this a long time, but not the rest of the world. So it is, in Adventist Christianity, we're a broad community now, and we, we have broad experiences. This week I read of a group who rented a booth in the farmer's market in their little town. What could you do with a booth in a farmer's market as a group of faith community? I don't know what you would do. What could you do with that? If you wanted to go represent the La Sierra Church over at Tyler Mall on Friday mornings where there's a farmer's market, what would we do with such a space like that? This particular church decided to put up a sign that said, the end is near, and then fill the tables full of books. They've been taking a hit in social media. Well, why don't you just say the wrath of God is coming for you? Well, why don't you just... So it is that if we had a booth over at the farmer's market on Friday morning, we probably wouldn't put up a sign that says the end is near. But our heart and their heart are probably similar. The experience in Adventism is broad these days. The point is, how would we communicate the generosity of God? This is what the prophets do. I've been dabbling in a podcast. I can't quite recommend it to you yet because I can't. This is um, a duo who spends their time investigating kind of the religious, paranormal, unusual things in, in, the in our country. And they drop in a place and check people out. It turns out that they dropped into a Daniel and Revelation seminar in an Adventist Christian church. As agnostic atheists. And decided to listen in. One of their first summaries is this. We were not sure which would come first, the end of the world or the end of this seminar. <laughs> <laughs> they attended 25 seminars to try and understand us, friends. Remember, hear me clearly, there is a broad spectrum of Adventism right now. I'm listening to the debrief now. They're, now the, the two that went and sat through the 25 episodes, seminars, are actually talking to the evangelist who preached them in the podcast I'm currently listening to. A little back and forth. They're telling him, your numbers are kind of fuzzy. Your math is a little weird. You probably didn't have to go on and on about Sabbath. We got it. But hey, we became vegetarians. Because <laughs> it makes sense. I'm saying, please hear my heart this morning. Apocalyptic material is not entry-level conversation. So what is it we would do and we would say to represent the generosity of God in 2020? You saw maybe the headlines this week that the scientist, the computer scientist Larry Tesler died. Larry worked at uh, tech companies all of his career, Xerox and Apple and Amazon and Yahoo, and his goal was to make the computer practical, inexpensive, and easy to use. Instead of talking to scientists about how he should craft a computer, he talked to regular people. 
hey, what would you like your computer experience to be like? Tell me about it. And listening to people, then he went back and worked on it. Maybe you saw the headline this week when they announced um, Larry's death. They said, quote, the inventor of cut, copy, paste dies. Now you know. He tells the story in one of the articles about this idea, cut, copy, paste. What if people wanted to move text around as you're writing paper, students? Cut, copy, paste. How many times do you use that function? When they talked about this with the engineers, they said, come on, how often could people actually use something like this? <laughs> I started counting yesterday afternoon, cut, copy, paste, you know, like three dozen times within an hour. He says he's sitting at home thinking about cut, copy, paste, and he begins to tap his fingers on the desk. And it was in that tap, 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 he says, it ought to be that simple. Cut, copy, paste ought to be that simple. And if you use the function, you know it is. We could take a lesson. We could take a lesson. How do we make the prophetic voice that accessible in the world? How do we make the prophetic voice that user-friendly in the world? Maybe we don't lead with Mark 13 or Daniel or Revelation. Second point, Jesus describes this reality not as the end. Verse I'm reading again, Mark 13, verse 8. This is not the end, it's the beginning. For nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. There will be earthquakes in various places and there will be famines. This is but the what? It's the beginning? We asked you about the end, Jesus, and you're telling us that this is the beginning? But, but friends, the world doesn't actually have to get worse what if the chaos God and God's creation has already endured is enough to last eternity? Jesus isn't describing the beginning of bad. I think he's describing the begin of, beginning of beautiful. This is the beginning of the beauty that's about to come. It's not, the, it's not how the world ends. It's how the future begins. Jesus tells the disciples, watch for the future to arrive. It's about to get glorious. Messaging then is everything. Messaging is everything. The gentleman who told me a few weeks ago, the fires and the earthquakes, and I'm counting and naming things and keeping a chart, I would tell him, you're watching for the wrong thing. We're on watch, not for war, for peace. We are on watch, not for chaos, but compassion. We are on watch, not for the gruesome, but for grace. We are on watch, Jesus says. Know the difference. Watch for the inbreaking generosity. I've been helped by the activist and author this week, Adrienne Marie Brown. She says, of Mark 13. Things are not getting worse, they're getting uncovered. Hold each other tight then and continue to pull back the cover. Things are getting uncovered. Things are being understood. Jesus said, when the disciples say to Jesus, see this beautiful, glorious temple that Herod built, look at these stones. Jesus says, they're stones. 
And don't think that the power from inside a temple can't be as corrupt as all the other power in the world. Sit down, disciples. Let me take the top off the story and give you a view from heaven. Pretend power. Pretend power can come from everywhere. Hold each other tight and pull back the cover and see the full story. At the end of Mark 13, Jesus says, we are like a family in a household and the homeowner has gone away and left us. And we don't know when the homeowner has come back. Jesus says at the end of the story, stay on your task. Each of you has your work to do. Each of you listening to the prophetic voice in your own time, in your own place, with your own skill sets and your own passions, stay on task because the king left you with the kingdom. And one day, there will be an inbreaking and a fulfillment of this story. The prophetic looks like staying on task in the kingdom. At 7.30 this morning, five families pulled up and pulled out a smorgasbord of breakfast, and it was gorgeous. And you would have thought like the mayor was coming. This morning at 7.30, five families pull up on their day off, and they get out food and put it out because they have an idea that the sacred act of eating together is where we'll hear the prophetic voice. And when I walked into the patio, we fed neighbors we don't even know. Now there's a thought. What if we put breakfast out every Saturday morning for the neighborhood. That's a version of a prophecy seminar. Yesterday, the social work department gathered down here with their poverty simulation program. They've done it many times. The point is for us to enter into the experience of people who live in poverty and imagine and grow our empathy, and that's a version of a prophecy seminar. On March 7, in just a few weeks, the worship service will feature the beautiful volunteers at client services across the street. The history of that feeding and clothing program goes back to 1923. In your community, people are fed and clothed every week, no questions asked. That's a version of a prophecy seminar. There's room for more, church. What's on your heart in 2020? What is the way you would like the prophetic voice to be alive in our neighborhood? Go ahead and imagine it. And then are you willing to stand up and be in it? There is no leader or army or country or enemy or power or purified people who can persuade God to bring the end. There is no leader or army or country or enemy or power or purified people who can prohibit God from bringing the end. Something is struggling to be born. It's not chaos. It's peace. Amen.